Well, good morning. It is such a joy to be with you this morning, and yes, it's been, as uh, Dustin said, quite a journey over these last few years, Um, but it's also been one of those things where you just know God has called you to a particular time and a particular place um, for such a time as this. So um, it is a joy to be here in California, so if you're wondering what the accent is that I don't hear, but everybody tells me I have, I'm from northern Illinois, born and raised, and just recently replanted here in the Central Valley. Well, today our text comes from Matthew 28, 16 through 20, and I'm going to read it for you. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but they doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always until the end of the age. In the book, um, The Great Omission by Dallas Willard, he rephrases this text, and it's going to come up. I think it might say that it's from the message. It's actually not. That was my mistake. Um, But Dallas Willard rephrases this text to say, um, it's like Jesus is saying, I have been given say over all things in heaven and in the earth. And as you go, therefore, make disciples of all kinds of people, submerge them in the Trinitarian presence. I love that. And show them how to do everything I have commanded. And now look, I am with you every minute until the job is done. When Dustin shared with me that you are doing a series called The Jesus Essentials, Um, God reminded me of this passage, and I've been sitting in this passage because here we have the very last command that Jesus gives his church before he ascends to heaven. What could be more essential, Jesus, than that? His last commands. And what's so interesting to me is that his last command to us was not to go and to make Christians but it was to go and make disciples. Now, I was raised in a church where we spent a whole lot of time talking about becoming Christians, and I grew up thinking that disciples were just reserved for people that were like super spiritual. Like that was an option, right? If you were really serious about Christianity. But interestingly, Jesus is saying in this passage, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. Do you know that the word disciple appears in the New Testament 269 times? The word Christian appears three times, and interestingly, it only appears after people saw Jesus' disciples and said, wow, they look a lot like that Jesus Christ guy, and they started calling them Christians after they were disciples. So it became a label that they were called because they looked so much, they acted so much, they sounded so much 
like Jesus. So this morning, I want to just spend a few minutes as we are talking about Jesus' essentials to go, what does it mean to be a disciple? We use the word up at Calvin Crest a lot of apprentice. What does it look like to apprentice ourselves to Jesus Christ? Well, I've been married for almost 31 years, and when my husband and I got married, um, we lived in this little tiny apartment in Elgin, Illinois, and we had this landlord named Fred. Now, Fred was retired and elderly, but Fred had been a woodworker, and I was still going to school, and my husband, I often studied at night, so he was always looking for things to do at night while I was studying after he got home from work. And so he said to me one day, I'm going to go over to Fred's. And Fred has this woodworking shop in his basement, and I'm going to ask Fred to teach me everything he knows about woodworking. Well, little did I know the passion that my husband would gain for woodworking and what he learned. He apprenticed himself to Fred. I don't know if Fred liked that he came over all the time or not, but, he, but Cam did nonetheless. And over the years, the last 31 years, my husband became a master craftsman. So he makes beautiful, beautiful works of art out of wood, but all because he started going over to Fred's and saying, Fred, I want you to teach me everything you know. Teach me about the tools, teach me about the techniques, and I want to learn from you. And that's what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who intentionally and persistently arranges their daily life around following Jesus. Intentionally and persistently arranges their life around following Jesus. And I always say that the goal of following Jesus is not simply to do what Jesus would do. You know how we have the WWJD bracelets, and it's not just doing what Jesus would do, but it is becoming so much like Jesus that we can't help but do what he would do because it just flows out of who we are because we are apprenticed to Jesus, because who he is is becoming part of who we are. I heard the phrase last year, and it has haunted me for the last year, and we talk about it a lot at Calvin Crest. What God gets out of our life what God gets out of my life and your life is the person we're becoming. It's not what we do. It's not how big we grow our churches or our, our camps. or um, It's not how successful I am or how many degrees I rack up or all of those things. It's the person I'm becoming on the inside. And so if I do all these amazing things, but who I'm becoming doesn't look a whole lot like Jesus, then I've gained the world, but I've lost my soul. So the question before us as we think about discipleship is what kind of person are we becoming and are we living the life that we're inviting others to live? Back in Illinois, I read an obituary one day about a man that I knew, and he had died, and this is what his obituary said. He died after a life dedicated to fulfilling the Lord's command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He was beloved by his family and all who had the privilege of meeting him. He taught Sunday school, 
He worked in Awana for 10 years. He sang in the church choir, played violin in the orchestra, and taught a Bible class for many years. He enjoyed reading the Bible, calling his mother every day. I spoke that. And his goal in life was to be the best husband and father that the Lord could help him to be. And I read that, and I thought, does that sound to you like someone who is effortlessly obeying Jesus and living like Jesus would live if he was in his place? And I thought, yeah, it does. But what if I told you this? What if I told you that this same man was known as the grouchiest man in his entire neighborhood? What if I told you that he put up signs up and down the street in front of his house prohibiting anybody from walking their dog in front of his home? And he didn't just put the signs up in front of his home, he put them all the way around the corner and down the street. What if I told you that he called his neighbors to complain about things to the point where they stopped answering his calls or they wanted to hang up on him? What if I told you that one night he happened to be following his neighbor home who had forgotten to turn on her headlights and he followed her all the way into her garage and started screaming at her husband because his wife had forgotten to turn her headlights on? Then I ask you, does that sound like someone who was effortlessly obeying Jesus and living like Jesus would live if he was in his place? If you asked his neighbors they would tell you that in many respects, they did not recognize the man that they read about in that obituary. So the first question that we must ask ourselves when we talk about becoming disciples of Jesus and Jesus' essentials is, who am I becoming? Am I actually living out the life that I am inviting others to live? Because it's easy to talk all about discipleship and to know all about discipleship, but it's a whole other thing to live as a disciple. So a disciple is someone who intentionally and persistently arranges their daily life around following Jesus and becoming like him. Luke 6.40 is going to come up on the screen and it says, The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who's fully trained will be like their teacher. And then the message says it this way, can the blind man guide a blind man? Wouldn't they both end up in the ditch? An apprentice doesn't lecture the master. The point is to be careful who you follow as your teacher. So Jesus is inviting us to live and learn from him as our teacher, as our master, Theologian Dallas Willard defines three kingdoms, and this has been so helpful for me. And the first kingdom that exists is the kingdom of God, which Jesus ushered in when he came, and he said the kingdom is now here and now. And yes, it is not full and complete until the day of Jesus' return, but we see pockets of light and life all over our culture. So we see the kingdom of God here at work, in right now, here and now. But then there's also, and the, and the kingdom of God is wherever God's will is done, right? On earth as it is in heaven. So it's where whatever God wants done gets done. And then there's the kingdom of me and you. And the beautiful thing is that God gives each of us our own little kingdom, 
And so my kingdom is my sphere of influence. I get to choose what clothes I want to put on in the morning, what car I want to drive. I get to choose what purse I'm going to carry and what I'm going to carry in that purse. I get to choose who I talk to and interact with and what job I do. That's my kingdom. But every day, I get the choice to wake up and either build Tiffany's kingdom or I get to surrender my little kingdom to this greater kingdom. And I get to say, man, God, whatever I do, whatever I say, whatever I wear, whatever, all the things, I just want it to build your bigger kingdom. And then there's a third kingdom, a kingdom of darkness. And I probably don't need to say a lot about that because that's where when God's will is not done. And we have plenty of examples all over where we see the kingdom of darkness at play in our culture and in our world. But God's invitation to us as disciples of Jesus is every day to choose to surrender our little kingdoms to his bigger kingdom, to intentionally and persistently build my daily life around following him. This is how we live out being disciples and how we live out the life that we're inviting others to live. Again, Dallas Willard said, the gospel is less about how to get into the kingdom of heaven after you die and more about how to live in the kingdom of heaven before you die. I love that. So are we living as disciples who are obeying everything he's teaching us to do? Whose kingdom are we building? In 2008, I had the opportunity to travel to Zambia to train leaders and teachers and um, folks that ran orphanages. And, um, and when we weren't teaching and training, we got to interact with kids in the village, which I loved. And so we would touch base with these kids and ask them how their home life was and how their health was. And after we would meet with each child, we would give them a little snack bag of Skittles. Now, at this time, I had three kids at home. I was there in 2008, and I had three kids at home that were, oh boy, how old were they? 10, 10 8, and 6. And I knew how, what my kids would do if they got that little bag of Skittles. They would probably run and eat it and not share it and hide them away, maybe. But I watched one little girl. I gave her her snack bag of Skittles, and I watched her go outside the room we were in, and she tore open that bag of Skittles, and there were always scads of kids surrounding all of us and, and in, in groups. And I began to watch her give away one Skittle at a time. And I sat and just watched with tears in my eyes, and I wondered, is she even going to save one Skittle for herself? You see, she was not living for her own kingdom. She was giving it away to everybody around her. And in that one little act inspired me. And I thought, you know, God's entire plan to spread his kingdom of love and joy and peace and patience and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and kindness, it's predicated on the fact that his followers will be so transformed that they can't help but give away all those things. And we don't have to do it on our own. At the end of this passage, he says, and remember, I am with you always 
to the end of the age. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I catch myself trying to do discipleship all on my own, in my own power, in my own strength, trying to make it happen. I hear a great sermon, and then I'm like, I need to go be more loving, and then I run into really grouchy people or people that cut me off on the freeway, and it's really hard. It doesn't work by trying harder, and I realize I have to intentionally and persistently arrange my life around practices that help me learn how to live and love like Jesus loved. And it's hard, we often say in discipleship, like, it's hard to tell, it's hard to measure, we can't just take a test and see if we've grown as better disciples over the last year, but there are questions we can ask ourselves. Am I more loving than I was a year ago? Am I more joyful? Am I more patient with the people that drive me nuts? You know, we all have them. Do I bring more peace to others? Am I kinder and gentler and more faithful to my word? In other words, what kind of person am I becoming? Am I living the life that I'm inviting others to live? Am I using my one and only little kingdom to partner with God to build his kingdom? And am I doing it with Jesus or am I trying to do it all on my own? Five years ago on Easter Sunday morning, I was worshiping with my church and my cell phone rang and I silenced it because we were, it was like Easter Sunday and I was like, who's calling me on Easter Sunday morning? And, and then my phone kept ringing and I realized when the service was over that it was a very dear friend of mine who had gotten up and her husband had just dropped and had died that morning. And they were in their 40s um, and it was very sudden and very unexpected. And his name was Dave. I co-led a church plant with Dave, and Dave was larger than life with a grand sense of humor and an ability to seize the moment and an uncanny gift of not caring what anybody thought of him. So we would be in Target, and he would page me over the intercom just to be smart, and uh, he would do funny things to his family. He left a toilet in our yard once. He did all kinds of practical jokes, and he just exuded joy. But Dave's infectious joy was matched by his radical generosity. And one Thanksgiving, our church plant was delivering Thanksgiving baskets and food to people all over the Fourth Ward, which in our town was a really poverty-stricken area. And Dave dropped off a turkey and a food basket to one single mom. And he said, you know, as I pulled away, I felt like God was nudging me, saying, Dave, can you give away what's easy or can you also give away what's not so easy? And he was not one to share all the good stuff he was doing, but he told my husband and I later, when we asked him where his car was, that he drove back to that house and handed that young single mom the keys to his Cadillac. And interestingly enough, my husband and I counted over the years just that we knew of that he had given away six cars to people in need. It wasn't until after I officiated his memorial service that I really came to realize how much people had experienced Dave's big-heartedness over the years. One woman came up to me and said that when her husband died, she could no longer afford the private school her kids were attending, but then all of a sudden, out of the clear blue, the school had called to tell her that an anonymous donor had paid for her children and they could stay in school. 
And she said, I knew it was Dave, but he wouldn't admit it. Someone else told me that when they wanted to start a school in Uganda, a medical school, Dave was their very first donor, saying, how much does it cost to sponsor a student? $2,000, I'll give you that, for what, let's get one student started. And that student, she said, went on to become a doctor and just opened a hospital in Uganda. Dave arranged his life around following Jesus, intentionally and persistently arranged his life around following Jesus, and he had allowed Jesus to transform him. He knew that his life was about something so much bigger than just his little kingdom, and he understood what it meant to partner with God to bring heaven to earth. Dave lived the life that he was inviting others to live, and as a result, there are many other little disciples running around the earth today. Dave's obituary reads, Dave was welcomed into heaven on Easter morning. He married his high school sweetheart in 1985. His greatest joy was his family. He was happiest when they were all together. Dave kept everyone laughing with his great sense of humor and all his shenanigans. He was loved by many and will be missed by all. This morning, you have heard about two men, and you've heard two obituaries. One filled with glowing words about a life of service, but the life that he actually lived out in front of his neighbors did not look so much like Jesus. The other didn't say so much about what he did, but it didn't have to, because everyone who encountered Dave saw that he was different, and they were changed because of it. What kind of people are we becoming? Are we willing to live the lives that we are inviting others to live? Are we willing to surrender our little kingdoms of status and title and wealth and recognition and all the things in order to build God's greater kingdom? And are we doing it with Jesus, who said he'll be with us every minute until the job is done? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray. Oh, our good and beautiful God, thank you so much for inviting us into a relationship with you that doesn't end when we enter the relationship with you. Thank you that that's just the beginning and that we have this opportunity to grow and to spend little moments and long moments throughout our days to arrange our lives around you, around spiritual practices, around things that put us in a place where you can transform our very soul so that what comes out of us is different and it looks like you. God, we surrender. We want to grow. We want to be like you. We thank you for this invitation to follow and to be like you. In Jesus' name, amen.